people. And, uh, you know, you don't want them to really know that you're watching them, but you really are. And so I'm sitting there the lawn. I'm just observing the people that are around me. I think, I had it. What in the world did she wear that for? Like, who let her out of the house today? You gotta be kidding me. I mean, you start looking at people and then you start thinking about their life. Well, I bet you they're like this, this, and this. You don't know them from Adam! But you're observing people, the way they dress and their mannerisms and the way they're acting and the way they're talking. I walk, I'm watching this lady and she's on her cell phone and it's like she is really intense. She's like, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm observing her. And I'm thinking at that moment, there's a discussion that I don't think I'd want to be on the other end of that phone. Right? We're making observations. And we do it all the time. Well, when we take that approach into studying Scripture, observing what's taking place, things start to become illuminated to our heart. And so as we read this text this morning, I'm going to make a few notes about what the background is and some of the things that were taking place. But the text that we're reading this morning was written by the, a man by the name of Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. Paul was probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. He wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, the church today, the way that we do church, and the kinds of lives that we seek to live, so much of what we do in our lives today as Christians is patterned after the words that Paul wrote to specific churches. Now, Paul is writing to a church called Philippi. Everyone say Philippi. And the church of Philippi was an interesting church because it was a church that was started in a completely pagan community. Uh, the city that, that Paul started this particular church was a, a city that was known for his idol worship. They had these great temples. The great temple of Dianus was there. and They had all kinds of, uh, of Egyptian gods that they worshipped. They were a polytheistic. In other words, they believed all these different paths led them to God. And, and so they were pretty open because they were a Roman culture. Although they spoke Greek, they were a Roman culture and they operated by Roman law. And so if you were a Roman citizen in this particular culture in the city of Philippi, you didn't pay taxes, you did, you got some special favors. You were like, you were like a special group of people. And in this community, Paul shows up, he's a Jewish man, he goes to the city, and he's looking for some Jewish people to kind of gather together to form a group. A synagogue, even to this day, a synagogue, even to this day, in the Jewish culture requires that there are 12 men. Paul went to the city of Philippi. He couldn't find 12 men. And so the next thing we see is that, is that Paul goes down to the river. And at the river, he meets a woman. She's half Jewish and she's half Gentile. And he starts sharing the gospel. She's a wealthy lady. She's like, yeah, I received that. I hear that. So he starts sharing with her family. Her family gets saved. And all of a sudden, doors start opening for Paul. He starts sharing the love of Christ. He starts preaching about a resurrected Jesus. And, and things start happening. People start believing what he's saying. And there's this one little 16-year-old girl. She's a, a slave girl. She, she actually has the ability to tell people's fortune. She's a fortune teller. She practiced magic arts. And, and she's very accurate. She's very good. And she makes a lot of money for her masters. Listen, slavery has been an institution. It didn't just happen in America, you know, over a 400-year period. I mean, slavery has been part of the world culture for thousands of years, and it's a result of the wickedness and the desperate darkness of the hearts of evil men. It's a direct result of the rebellion of the heart of men. God hates it. God hated it in this generation. 
And Paul the Apostle has this little girl that's following him, and she starts saying some things. Now, how do we know this took place? How do we know that all this happens in the city of Philippi? Because the story of Paul starting this church is in Acts chapter 16. We're not going to read it, but you can read the text for yourself, and you can see what happens. After a couple of days, Paul finally gets ticked off because this girl just irritated him because everywhere he goes she says something like this this man is the this man is a man of god he follows the son of the most high jesus and she kept saying that over and over and finally he turns around and he speaks to the devil that's inside of her and he says shut up come out and bam and that girl flops on the ground and devil comes out of her and all of a sudden she's transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light all of a sudden, she's no longer under the bondage of Satan. She's now a servant of the Savior. I mean, her life in one moment is radically transformed, but something happens. She loses her power to be able to tell fortune. Because of that, Paul's thrown into prison, and all these kinds of things happen. So that's the background of our text. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi that he started. It's many years later. It's many, many years later, and he's sitting in a prison. There's a key word in this book, a key word in this book. If you go to the book of Philippi, the Philippians, what you will see is this one word, rejoice, joy, or cheer. This word, rejoice, joy, or cheer, is used over and over. So here's a guy sitting in a stanky prison, small little prison you have to literally duck down to get inside of. they got raw open sewer full of cockroaches and rats and other nasty critters, and he's, he's proclaiming to the church at Philippi, hey, be full of joy. I want to tell you about a couple of guys. And that's where we pick up our story in verse number 19. And the Bible says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Listen to this. I hope to send Timothy to you soon. That I also may be cheered or joyed when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Everyone say Epaphroditus. Name your firstborn son Epaphroditus today. How about that one? My brother, listen to this, my brother my co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Hear the compassion. Hear the empathy of this man who's writing about these, this particular brother. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I have, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked, everyone say, he risked. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give to me. He risked his life. Here's the big idea today. The big idea today, as you study the Bible, the way that you're able to apply the truth of God's Word is to ask good questions. Is to ask good questions.
Now, when you read a text like this, if you were just reading it and I wasn't preaching on it, you would probably just skip over it quickly because it's a lot of personal dialogue about a couple of guys. But, but Paul told Timothy, he said, all scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching. It's useful correction and it helps us to straighten out our lives. All scripture. He told the church at Rome, he said, everything that was written, everything that was written was to teach us so that endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. God gives us the scriptures so that we can be filled with hope. What I know what I know what you need today. I don't care what your problem is. I don't care what your challenge is today. You need to have hope that your future is going to be different than your past. We all need that. And how do we find that encouragement today? We find it through the scriptures. So we're observing this text. There's a couple of things that I want you to see. The first thing I want you to see is what Paul says about Timothy. Paul says about Timothy, I have no one else like him. I got no one. Wow. What an endorsement. What an incredible endorsement. I got no one else like this guy. I got no, I got no other. I mean, there's a lot of people who proclaim Christ, but this guy, there's something different about him. There's something special about him. I went to the airport campus this morning and our wide open team was leading worship over there. And I realized as I look up on that stage that our worship team at the other campus was led by 16, 17, 18, 19 year old young people. As I looked at that stage, I started to cry because I, I knew that this morning my boys had to be, get up at six something this morning to be at church at seven o'clock. And I thought, my God, we got a bunch of radical, faithful, crazy for Jesus young people and all the young people in the world today that are focused on me and themselves and you know playing the video games and to serve to get up at six something in the morning to go to church to serve other people you got to be kidding me and to think that our church is full of full packed full of young people that don't give their lives no one liked them I'm like I'm like in tears this morning when I realized I realized that right in this own church we got people that are totally sold out Paul says, there's no one like this guy. He's special. Then I want you to see what he says about Epaphroditus. Verse number 29. He says, welcome him. Honor men like him. Honor him. What was Epaphroditus willing to do? Epaphroditus was willing to lay it all out. I mean, he was willing to give his whole life for the cause of Christ. As a matter of fact, even to the point of death, he was willing to give his life. These guys Paul was holding up to be role models. I know this guy Charles Barkley out there, and I like to watch, used to watch him play, and he was a great ball player back in the day, and he's a very, you know, he's a very opinionated individual. He's even, you know, he does the sports announcing for the NBA today, but, you know, and he came out with this statement, I ain't no role model for your children. I said, wrong. Wrong, Charles, because the fact is, is that once you reach a place where other people are looking at your life, you become an example. Now, he ain't no role model for my boys. I don't want him. I don't care how good he can play basketball. I don't care how well he announces. I don't. The fact is, the kind of life that he lives is not an audible life. He's not living the kind of life that Paul's living, talking about, because he's not living for the gospel. He's not living for the kingdom of God. So Paul says, "Look at these guys. Their lives are worthy of honor." 
you can go down through this text. You can start to observe some things that Paul is talking about. These guys, and we're going to look at these things in just a moment. But these guys took genuine interest. They they proved themselves. They were fellow workers. They were family. They were soldiers. I mean, Epaphroditus was so distressed. When he heard that the church at Philippi was concerned about him because he almost died on his way to Jerusalem, that they were so concerned, he was distressed by the fact that they that they thought he was going to die. And he wanted to know, hey, he was okay. God had mercy on him. I mean, these guys were willing to lay it all down. So what does it mean? What is this text? What's the application? So we've observed it. We've looked at it. You know, we're, we're making interpretation. Now, what does this mean to me? Let's break this down. Let's break down this passage to us personally. I want to give you five things this morning about a godly man. Now, I'm going to speak specifically to the men, and not just the men. This applies to the women. But I, I'm going to speak to the men today. Because what I know today that all hell has come against the men of our culture. God has created you. God's destined you. God's made you to be a godly man. Not a wimpy man. God wants us to be real men. That's what Paul is saying. I want to show you a real man. I want to show you what a real man. A real man ain't just somebody who can throw the ball in a basketball hoop. I mean, that ain't a, I mean, yeah, there's some guys that we thank God for the Christians that play professional sports. We thank God, you know, for, for the guys like, like Dwight Good and, you know, here in Magic who stand up and profess Christ and allow his picture to be taken as he's getting baptized. He's a new Christian. He's just beginning to follow God and guys like Tim Tebow who live their faith. But let me tell you, most of the guys out there, they're not godly. They're, not, they're living for themselves. Paul says, let me tell you what it is to be a godly man. The first thing that I want you to see is that a godly man is caring. A godly man is caring. Look at verse number 21. I have no one else like him who takes genuine interest in your welfare. I have no one else like you who takes genuine interest in your welfare. Sometimes when I'm doing a Bible study, especially when I'm doing the Bible study on my phone and I have the ability to look up different translations, I have a Bible app called YouVersion. And I can read like 25 different English versions. It's just an amazing thing. And I'll look it up. I'll, I'll be reading like the text in the NIV, NIV. I study out of the New International Version. I'll be reading this text and I'll say, what if that says in the message translation? I wonder what that says in the New Living. But look what Paul says. The message translation says, I have no one quite like Timothy. He's loyal, generally concerned for you. Most people around here are just looking out for themselves with little concern for the things of Jesus. Everything in our culture teaches us it's about me. I mean, think about advertisement. Think about, think about the advertising you watch in television. It's all about creating a need within me. You know, to make me smell better, to make me look better, to make me drive better, perform better. I mean, whatever the commercials are, I mean, it's all about me. It's because the focus of our culture, it's a me generation. It's all about my needs and my wants. Paul says this guy's exactly the opposite. He is a caring man. I want to talk to the single girls. Dad Eugene's going to talk to you. Dad Eugene's going to talk to all the single women in the room right now. I want to talk to you about what a caring man. I want to talk to you about the kind of man you should be looking for. Men, listen up, because this is the kind of guy that you should be. So what I know about caring men, caring men does not only talk about themselves. So girls, you're with the guy. If the guy's just talking about himself all the time, he's not the guy for you. He's not a godly, caring man. If it's all about him, he's going to talk all about him. 
carry men. Listen to this, girls. Does he ever open the door for you? Come on. Does he ever come around your side of the car? He says, you know, hey, love baby, I love you, but never comes around and opens the door. He doesn't care for you. Oh, come on. It's getting personal here. Does he? Listen, this guy, oh, I love you, baby. You're the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Has he ever brought you a meal because he knew you were too busy to eat? Does he go out of the way to make you feel safe? Has he ever asked your opinion about anything? Does he ever ask you for sex? Single women, a guy that's asking you for sex, he doesn't care about you. You see, women need a reason for sex. Men just need a place. Come on. Hey, let me, hey, come on, girls, listen up, listen up. Does he pay his bills on time? Can he keep a job? Listen, if, if he can't pay his bills on time and can't keep a job, he doesn't care about you. Listen, men, if that's you, stop it. Come on, stop it. Let's become a godly man today. Is he obsessed? As you walk by the mirror and kind of look at that, you know, I've got no hair left, but imagine that hair up there, you know? Woo, baby. Will he do something he doesn't like just to spend time with you? Here's a real practical one. Does he pick up after himself? Does he pick up his messes? And all the women said, Amen. All right, the next thing that we learn this morning, you're up. All right. And uh, we're just going to close the service. Hey, man, no, I'm just <laughs> That was good. I, I enjoyed that, Pastor. Yeah, point number two is this, is a godly man is consistent. Look at, uh, look at verse 22. Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he's, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. God is looking for consistent, proven Men, if you're writing anything down, write this down. A man that can be tested is a man that can be trusted. A man that can be tested is a man that can be trusted. A consistent man knows his conviction, uh, not just his opinion. Uh, let, let me also say this. A consistent, godly man knows what they're about and what they're not about. Right? Because in order to be consistent about something, you have to be, you have to have conviction in your life. A godly man finds conviction only from the Word of God and not from situations or from trials or tribulations or any of that. He finds his conviction from the Word of God. Now follow me. In order to be consistent, if you're a man or, or a woman, but if you're a man and you say, well, I'm just about everything, guess what? You're not consistent because you'll never be consistent. If you're about everything, you you will never be consistent in the things you need to be consistent about. If you're a man you say, well, I'm just not really about anything, guess what? You're not consistent. You have to, as a man, you have to figure out from the word of God, what am I going to be convicted to do and what am I not convicted to do? In other words, I know where I'm going and I know where I'm not going. In other words, it's easy for me to say, say yes to something and it's easy for me to say no to something. Pastor Laura, a year ago, she said something in a staff meeting that I just loved. And I think she read it somewhere or probably came up with it. Uh, but she just said, I make your yes so big that your no's are easy. Remember saying that? Make your yes. I never forgot that in my life. I said, you know what? I've said yes to so many things that I, that I can never keep things straight. And when you say yes to something as a man, you stay consistent, you stay faithful, and your no's become very easy because you understand the convictions of God that are upon your life. I was thinking about, I was thinking about if you ever came to like a, if you ever got an opportunity to, to talk to a war veteran, 
And you got to sit with them down and get to talk to them about, about the stories of past. And you get to look at their memorabilia. You know what happens is that there's honor that comes in that room. Why? Let's think about this. Because they didn't just make a commitment to their country, but they actually were tested in that commitment. And now they're trusted in that commitment. And now as they talk about that commitment, I have honor for them. And we honor them in our, in our, in our big days. We honor them at certain times, at certain seasons of the year. Why? Because they were consistent and they're proven, right? Because what's tested will ultimately be trusted. And God wants to give you more as a man and as a woman. But if he tests you and you're not passing those tests, guess what? You're going to spend the next years, whatever, learning those tests because God is wanting to grow you. So godly man is consistent. Number two is, number three, I'm sorry, is this. A godly man is cooperative. Look at this. Verse 25 says, I send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. A cooperative man understands the power of we over the power of I. They understand the big picture of that. Listen, I, I love this. Look what the Bible says. It says, he is, he is a brother, he's a worker, and he's a soldier. Everybody say that with me. Brother. Brother. Worker. Worker. Soldier. Soldier. Why would he say this? Because why? Because your Christian life, it's a family, it's a fellowship, and it's a fight. It's a family, it's a fellowship, and it's a fight. Look at this. Look, look at what the Bible says. It says this. We are, we are brothers. Well, you know what? Uh, also in Timothy, it says this. It says, treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, back in the day, you used to be like, hey, brother so-and-so is going to be with us today. Hey, sister so-and-so. That's kind of cool. Because we are a family. We, we are a family. Just, I love what, I love our staff here and our pastors and pastor coming up here and, and, and sharing about the two deaths that were in our, that were in our family. That's family stuff. That's what we're about. That's the beauty of, of what God's done in us. And that's why every color of skin can come in this place and every background and genre. And we all have something in common through the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and man, that's, that's the family part. That's unbelievable. And we're cooperative within our family. We'll do whatever it takes. We'll show up early at six in the morning. We'll sign up and we'll, we'll click serve on our connect, connect card. But by the time we leave here to get connected, amen. All right. Just, just saying we're a family. Number two, the second thing is we're a fellowship. What does it say? It said we're fellow workers. We're working together. And listen, as, a, as a family, as a church, you, you should not be okay, especially as a man, you should not be okay with just coming to service on a Sunday morning. Lead your family and get connected and serve the body of Christ. Come beside your pastors. Come beside your staff and work. And let's plow the field together. It's unbelievable. And lastly, we're soldiers. We're in a fight against the same devil. Um, this means that a godly man is available. He's willing and he's able to be stretched. I love the idea of this. A godly man is moldable but not breakable. In other words, there are, there are times when you're cooperative that you're able to be molded for your wife. You're able to be molded for your kids, not, but you're not able to ever be broken because you understand your conviction. A godly man gains honor among his brothers when he fights hard and he stays by his brother's side. That would be a man that's, that's, uh, cooperative. And the next thing that we see about a godly man is that a godly man is a considerate man. A godly man is a considerate man. You guys been able to fill in your blanks here? Get a little sheet here? All right. Godly man is a considerate man. So we see that a godly man is caring. Godly man is consistent. Godly man is cooperative. But also, Paul, as he's pointing out the lies of these two people, look at verse number 26 with me. 
For he longs. He's speaking of Epaphroditus now. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. See, Epaphroditus was asked by his pastor, his spiritual leader, to go 800 miles. Think about this. His pastor asked him to go 800 miles. No planes, no trains, no automobiles. No planes, no trains, no automobiles. He had to walk 800 miles because a special offering that they had taken there at the church of Philippi, and they were going to give to the church of Jerusalem because there was a great famine. Epaphroditus was the one that said, hey, I'll take it. Paul says, I want you to go. I want you to go, and I want you to take the church in Jerusalem. I want you to take them this special gift. Can you imagine today I stood up here and said, hey, I need someone to travel 800 miles. I need you to go all the way to North Carolina by foot. We have a special offering that we took for a church up there. It's going to take nine months of your life. You're going to have to quit your job. You're going to have to rearrange all the plans that you had. And you're going to have to walk by foot 900 miles, 800 miles, take a special offering up there. You'd be like, you got to be kidding me. I'm going to Northland. you got to be kidding me today. Pastor Joel would never ask me to do that. I mean, you know, come on. We, we just think there's no way. But here's this guy. Here's this guy was asked to do something. And when he, because of what he did, he got really sick, and he almost died, but God had mercy. Paul says that when he heard that the people were concerned about his physical condition, he was distressed. When was the last time you were distressed because of how someone else felt? When was the last time you really were distressed by how someone else was feeling? I wrote this verse down. It's Proverbs chapter 15. So the gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of the fool belches out foolishness. Gentle words are a tree of life. So many people feel like they can just say whatever they want to say today because it's all about me. You heard somebody say, well, I just tell it the way I see I call it. I calls it the way I sees it. You know, I, I, you heard somebody say something like, yeah, I just, I just lay it out plain. I make it plain. I just speak my mind. I tell them what I think. You know when you do that, you know what you are? Rude. You're rude. You know the only ones that say everything they think are little children? You know, and the fact is, we just don't say whatever we think. If I said whatever I thought about people, there would be nobody left in this church. Because just because I have a thought, it doesn't mean that it's worth repeating. As a matter of fact, Paul said that there are vain imaginations that come into our mind, and we have to cast them down. And so we see a godly man is a considerate man. He's considerate of the feelings of other people. He's really concerned. He's, he really cares about how other people feel. In a husband and wife relationship, this is so important. You've got to hear me today. This is so important today. Because sometimes people get into a relationship and they get married and then they have conflict and, and then their Christian life kind of goes sideways and they can't figure out what's wrong. And Peter, Peter says this to the husbands in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Listen to what he says. Husbands, be considerate of your wives. And some men have actually blocked their prayers from being answered by God because they're not being considerate of their spouse. And generally what happens is we just don't understand how one another is wired. 
We don't understand. When it comes to this area of sex, it's it's not real complicated for guys. It's kind of complicated for girls. I want you to see this picture to kind of describe what I'm talking about when it comes to this kind of emotional relationship between a man and a woman. you got the guy on top. And it's just, it's an on-off switch, and then you look at the girl, and we got all these knobs, and it's just confused, you know, all this stuff going on. I mean, men and women are just wired differently. Uh, let me make it plain here. Let me make it real plain. Men and women are, are wired differently when it comes to shopping, right? Uh, so, in my house, I mean, I, my wife, she, I go, and I'm, because I'm, I'm a considerate, caring, loving husband, and I go shopping, and I push the happy button, and uh, but this is how we shop. This is the difference, all right? So here's the goal. We're going to go to Gap, and we're going to buy a pair of pants. And so I want you to see this little graphic that I got right here. The men are the blue line. The women are the red line. So the goal is to get to Gap and to buy a $32 pair of pants. And so the woman we see here, she's over here. She's, oh, hey, there's Macy's. And then she goes through the foo food line and the lingerie area, then the, the, the you know, this, and then she goes, makes her way to JC Penney's, and oh, across the mall, she sees, hey, there's a Sears, and hey, a Nordstrom's, and somewhere along the way, oh yeah, why did they come here? The gap. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So she makes her way to the gap. Now, a guy, he walks in, I'm going to the gap, I'm gonna hunt, I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna conquer, I'm gonna get my job done, get her done, get her done. I had six minutes later, I spent $32 and I conquered. Matter of fact, I just bought these pair of jeans. It took me less than five minutes. Five minutes. The longest time it took me was to stand at the line to pay for the pants. Woman leaves the mall three hours and 32 minutes later. Goal accomplished, $894. And we're just wired different. A godly man is a considerate, is a considerate man. He learns about his spouse. He learns about her love language. He, he learns the things she likes and the things that she doesn't like. That's a godly man. That's a considerate man. And the last thing that I want you to see about a godly man this morning is that a godly man is a courageous man. He's fearless. Listen, Epaphroditus, he was ill. And he risked his own life to make up for the help that you could give me. Here's a guy. He risked his own life. You couldn't help me. But here's this one guy who was willing to put it all on the line. This Easter will be our 13th anniversary. And we're going to have two services on this campus. And they're going to be full. And I believe. Because you're going to tell your friends Hey, you got to come to this church, and it's so much fun, and the worship's incredible. We're going to have a lot of fun. The kids are going to have an Easter egg, and we've got a special drama, Living Lord's Supper. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I remember 13 years ago when three families moved from Seattle, Washington. One guy sold his business, literally sold everything he had. He was a heavy equipment operator. He sold everything he had. He sold his house, sold his business. Another guy, his name was Hank, and he was working for Boeing as an executive. He decided to take an early retirement at the age of 58. Sold everything he had. Sold his house. Quit his job. My wife and I, we sold our house, everything, so that we could move across the country to come to this city, to this community, to bring God's love one person at a time. I thought about that. I thought about those two other men. See, I, I'm a pastor, and 
It's my destiny to start churches. That's why we're doing multi-site churches, because this won't be the last campus that we have. But, you know, what about those other two guys? They risked it all. They literally did. They put it all out on the line. They were courageous. They weren't just thinking about themselves and their own retirement and their own future. They're thinking about, how can my life make a difference for someone else? And in our culture today, we're a play-it-safe culture. We're a play-it-safe culture. And here's the deal. When we play it safe, we lose everything. When we play it safe, in the investment world, guys that make the money, guys that make the money are willing to risk. There's a risk factor. You know, in sports, the guys that win the goal, the guys that win the Super Bowl, they play just a little bit harder. They work it just a, they they stay a bit a little bit later after practice. Years ago, my wife and I were living in a Bible college dormitory, and the dormitory sat right up on a hill, and right below the hill was the Seattle Seahawk practice field. And I remember I would sit on my balcony. I lived in a second floor unit, and I'd look out into the practice field, and I'd watch the players play. And there was one guy on the team. His name was Steve Largent. He was a wide receiver. Steve Largent is now in the NFL Hall of Fame. He's one of the great wide receivers of all time. He was a white guy. He couldn't jump. He couldn't run that fast. But Steve Largent, every single day I'd go out there, was the last guy to leave the field. The last guy. Just taking another, just taking a few more passes. Just, I mean, guy who had been playing at that time over 15 years in the NFL, just a little bit longer, worked a little bit harder. See, godly man is a man who's a man who's willing to live a courageous life. Let me tell you, when you stand up for Christ, man, on the job site, when you finally say, you know what, I'm going to live for Jesus, people are going to know. And that takes courage because you're not going to laugh at the jokes that they laugh at. You're not going to look at the little pictures that they flash up to you on their cell phone so they try to catch you off guard. You're not going to involve yourself. You're just not going to do it. You're not going to do it. And you're going to go to work. And you're going to be on time. You're going to give a full day's work. And you're going to give your very best because you understand that you're not just working for a paycheck, but you're working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everything you does speaks about your life and relationship with Him. See, that's a courageous man. That's a courageous man. I love manly movies. I love the movie Braveheart. I love the movie Gladiator. I love the movie Alligator. I love the boxing movie. I just love things, you know. And I love it. Raging Bull. I love it. These guys, they show this grit and determination. One of the favorite movies when I was 12 years old I ever saw was Rocky One. Beat Apollo. I mean, you know, just that fight. There's a great scene in Braveheart where Mel Gibson's on a horse. And he's got like, you know, a hundred guys. They're just this ragtag army. And he's on this horse and he's going, okay, men. And you're looking out and they show the battlefield. There's like 50,000 British. He's got like a hundred guys. Okay, guys. Hey, we're going to fight. I'm like, you're right. We're going to fight. you got to be kidding me. We're going to fight for our families. We're going to fight for our country. We're going to fight to the death. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah. I don't think you guys are crazy. You know the scene, and then man, and man, they're fighting. Pastor Glenn talked about the fight. If you're going to live the Christian life, it's called the good fight of faith. If you're going to be a godly man today, you make a choice. So we're going to break it down. So what do I do today with this? Men, women, what do we do with this today? 
I thought a lot about this this week. I've been meditating on this, and I thought about, Paul said, this man is worthy of honor. This man is worthy of honor. I said, God, what can I do this week to show someone that's made a difference in my life that I honor them? So I have a couple of people that I'm going to write a note to this week and send a little gift. So you know what? Just thank you. Thank you for living a life as an example before me. Thank you for showing me that, you know, there's times that I wanted to quit. There are times that I didn't want to keep pressing through. There were times when starting this church was so difficult and so hard, I couldn't see how I could keep going on. I'm full of hope today. I, my my view of what I see here today is different than maybe some of you. I'm so I'm so thrilled that you're here. There's so many more people. We only started with 11. We got about 180 people in the building today. That's a lot more than 11. Come on, that's a lot more. The, 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 come on, amen. The potential, the hope, but it's going to take some godly men. It's going to take some godly women that are willing to just give it all. So you know, I want to make a difference in my generation. I want to live my life for the end game. To stand before Jesus and to say, hear Him say, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." So was, that's going to, going to take. It's going to take some people that are all in. So what can I do this week? I can honor. I can show honor. You have the. I gave you the little handout today. And, you can evaluate your own life. There's two things you can do. You can show someone else. You can respond to this message by showing honor to someone else. But you can also internalize it and reflect on your own heart. Say, am I really a caring person? Do I need to grow in my, my caring? Am, am I really a, a cooperative person? Am I really a considerate person? Am I really a person who is, who is a conqueror, fearless in my Christian life? As you begin to internalize this, the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I can't answer that question for you, but you can. So this week as you're evaluating your life, you're saying, Lord, show me. Show me how I can grow in this area. God's speaking to some of the men about being more caring and more considered. You know, this whatever the Lord's speaking to you about today. I want you to stand with me this morning and I want you to place your hands upon your heart. God's looking for some courageous men and women. There's something, you know, we understand our heart is in our understanding, we, we feel things deeply inside of our, our emotional being. We call it the heart. But I want you, just as a symbolic act, Pastor Glenn's going to come and he's going to close this service this morning. But the Word of God has been spoken to you today. The Word of God has been spoken into your life. With your hand upon your heart today, as Pastor Glenn closes out this service, I want you to just begin to evaluate your life and reflection to the life of Timothy and Epaphroditus. God... God, where does my life need to change? Lord, there's someone that I can show honor to today. Pastor Glenn. Hey, Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for that word today. Hey, Amen. I'm going to pray over you in just a second. Um, but right where you are, can you take a second? And uh, and I, I want you to just take a second right where you are with your uh, with your actions, with your connection card. Can you pull that out right where you are? Go ahead, just everybody in the room. And there's some action steps here. Maybe you'd like some more info about uh, maybe serving at City Church. That would be a huge one. We definitely need a lot of help. This pastor was talking about, about connecting, setting up. Uh, another thing I want you to know about here at this church is uh, at 940 in the morning, every single Sunday morning, we uh, this is a time of prayer. And you're more than welcome to come. Uh, anybody's open. If you'd like to just spend some time with God before everything gets going, before the donuts get out, if you'd like to come and just pray over seeds, if you'd like to come and pray for pastor's mess, whatever, if you like prayer, 
uh, 9.40 to 10 o'clock. We do that every single Sunday morning uh, right here in this in this building. Um, also, uh, Easter's coming. And, man, if you're able to serve in any capacity, check off that, whether it's being a greeter, whatever the case. I would really like you to do that. But you're here. Maybe your next step is a pastor already, already had a few there. Um, but you can sign up for a, a small group. You can memorize the scripture today. You can commit to studying the Bible this week. Um, and then what I want you to do is take that. Any of the info and drop it in the bucket as you leave today. And, uh, and then we'll be contacting with you and praying for you as you're taking steps in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for the word. I thank you for the action steps that are coming here. That we're not just going to be hearers of the word. God, we're going to be doers of the word. And Lord, I pray your blessing over every person that's here. God, I thank you, God, for godly men. Lord, I lift up every man in this place. God, all the men in our church that maybe weren't here today. God, we pray your favor and blessing upon them today that they would lead the way in our church in our in our in our families in our lives god bless them i pray your hand upon them in jesus mighty name and everybody said amen god bless you thanks for coming today